Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. How's it going, Katie? Not too bad. How about yourself? I'm okay. How was your weekend? <laughs> Just okay? Just okay. I mean... <laughs> You've been jet-setting. Yes, I have. But <laughs> As no, you do. There's nothing like jet-setting when you compare it to doing the Pop Shop Podcast That's with you. That's true, because as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got news about Ariana Grande being announced as the 2018 Billboard Woman of the Year and scoring her very first number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Uh, We also have news about producer Metro Boomin topping the Billboard 200 albums chart, Uh, Queen uh, having a heck of a time in the top Mm. 10 on the Billboard 200 as well, and uh, news of Kanye West's new album and the California Wildfires. Plus, we have an interview with Lucas Graham frontman Lucas Forshammer. The Danish band is back with a new album, and Lucas is back on the podcast to talk about following the global success of seven years, crafting lead single Love Someone, and more, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, you know, Spotify, for example, so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. You can also go to Billboard.com for news, which we've got some here, too. <laughs> you, you may, I don't know if you knew that, but Billboard.com, we also have news. News. And we have charts stuff, too. We've got too. news here, too. Yeah. Um, starting with, uh, it looks like Kanye West's Yandi album won't be coming on Black Friday after all. Hmm. The rapper's wife, Kim Kardashian, originally announced the album's November 23 release date last month, but Kanye tweeted on Monday to let fans know that he needs a little more time. Um, so he and Kid Cudi debuted their Kid See Ghost project live for the first time over the weekend, closing out Tyler, the Creator's Camp Flognaw Music Festival at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles on Sunday night. And the set apparently had Ye reminiscing about how fun it is to bring his songs to the stage and also questioning the fast approaching release date. Um, he tweeted, it felt so good being on the stage last night with my brother Cudi. After performing again, I realized the new album I've been working on isn't ready yet. I'll announce the release date once it's done. Thank you for understanding. Well, we understand. And actually, this will now be the third release date for this album because it was originally supposed to come out in September, and then it got pushed to Black Friday. So, um, And he spent some time in Africa recording it, and it seems like, you know, inspiration continues to strike. So, Who knows? Maybe it could drop on Christmas. It could. What a Christmas gift. I'm like, I'm over here like, oh, what if I'm the person on call on Christmas who has to get that article up? <laughs> you, you, you think of it less in terms of work and more of the, you know, the, the gift from Kanye. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> it will be a gift to Kanye West fans. Yes. Uh, also, um, in some sad news that also uh, pertains to Kanye and Kim, actually, wildfires continue to rage in both Northern and Southern California, and the Woolsey Fire, which struck early Friday in Malibu, is affecting thousands of homes and causing the evacuation of many celebrities who live in the area. Um, Miley Cyrus actually tweeted late Sunday that the fire completely destroyed her Malibu home. Uh, She wrote, completely devastated by the fires affecting my community. I am one of the lucky ones. My animals and love of my life made it out safely, and that's all that matters right now. My house no longer stands, but the memories shared with family and friends stand strong. I am grateful for all I have left, sending so much love and gratitude to the firefighters and L.A. County Sheriff's Department. 
Actually, Liam Hemsworth, uh, Miley's fiance, also tweeted today a photo. I should say Tuesday tweeted a photo um, of their fire ravaged home, um, the rubble of it, and had a sign. I think it may, maybe it was made out of stone that said "Love." It was like one of the things that remained from I'm, the fire. I'm pretty sure if you Google um, Miley's cover story for Billboard, the last time she had her new album, we shot the photos at her house. Because I remember it was, she was she had this new. It was, it was a whole Malibu theme, the yes. album and single, and yeah, yeah. Well, it's very sad. Um, but she also is, uh, you know, shining a bright light on all the ways that her fans can help. Um, they can donate supplies, money, or their time to help fire victims. And Lady Gaga, actually, who was evacuated from her home, volunteered at a shelter in the Pacific Palisades on Sunday. And she addressed a crowd that was there saying, I'm not exactly sure when or how this is going to hit me when it does. What I can tell you is that I will pray for each and every one of you. You will be in my thoughts. I extend my love to each and every one of you. I know we do not know each other, but I love you. This is an emergency, but you are not alone and we have each other. Other celebrities who are affected by the fires include um, Kanye West and Kim. Their home in uh, Calabasas was evacuated, and we don't know what the damage was at this point. Um, I also read a report, but it was just a report that they had hired private firefighters to come, like fight fires in their at their house and their neighbors' homes to try to help in any way they could. And Cher also, um, she has been performing in Vegas, and so she was tweeting from there saying, you know, that she got the evacuation notice and that the fire was, like, right across the street from her home in Malibu, but she didn't know what the damage was Yeah, I checked her Twitter feed uh, when we started recording this. We're actually recording this early on Tuesday morning. Last tweet I saw from her, she didn't indicate that anything had happened, but who knows, maybe she has more important things to do, you know, than tweet right now. But, yeah, she has shows in Vegas, and, um, yeah. uh, Yeah, and just not knowing what's happening back home. Um. And the reason why we're hearing about so many celebrities is that there's a lot of celebrities that live, obviously, in Malibu and Calabasas. You wouldn't think Calabasas as, like, being this big place for celebrities. But there's, like, it's there's so much land, so much property, and you can have, like, tons and tons of real estate in a very private setting. And that's why there's so many celebrities that we're hearing about now. And it's also, you know, it's probably easy to think, like, okay, these people have all the money in the world. They can rebuild. They can do this. But if Cher's in Vegas... And she didn't know about an evacuation order and nobody can access her home. There's things that she can't replace in there. There's yeah. going to be Bob Mackie costumes in there. There's going to be like photographs in there. Things yeah. that are just like national treasures that are irreplaceable. But thank God, like at this point, everyone, you know, all these people are safe and pets seem to be safe and everybody got out in time and all of that. So, um, yeah, scary, but uh, hopefully it continues to be contained And lastly, after an incredibly successful year and on the heels of her Billboard 200 chart-topping fourth album, Sweetener, Ariana Grande has been named Billboard's 2018 Woman of the Year. Yes! I I mean, honestly, who else? It's it's been Ari's year, and we're just all living in it. Um, The superstar singer, songwriter, actress, and activist will be presented with the award December 6th at the 13th Annual Women in Music Dinner and Awards Gala in New York. Grande joins a history of icons who have been previously honored as Woman of the Year, including Selena Gomez, Madonna, Lady Gaga, and Taylor Swift. What a nice uh, collection of ladies. Pretty impressive collection of ladies. Um, You know, Ari has had some new music and has some new music on the way. She released her single, Thank You, Next, and has an album by the same name uh, around the corner 
maybe in time for women in music. What a nice coincidence. That would be kind of nice. Something to promote and something to maybe perform. Who knows? And, you know, uh, well, you, you go ahead and keep talking and I'll, I'll tell you a conspiracy theory. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, uh, the Women in Music event and Red Carpet Pre-Show will broadcast live on December 6th via Twitter from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern that night. Isn't December 6th a Thursday night? Yes. So, you know, in theory, you could drop that album that night. Oh, Midnight Thursday. Midnight Thursday. Mm-hmm. But that might that also might be kind of fast to sort of get an album out. But, you know, mm, you I know. think she could do it. Especially, I mean... We have faith. Yeah, we have faith. <laughs> you never know. Um, well, let's do some chart chat. And speaking of Ariana Grande, she earns her first number one on the Billboard Hot 100 as Thank You Next debuts in the top slot. It's her 11th top 10 hit and seventh song to debut in the top 10. Uh, Grande had gone as high as number two previously, peaking in the runner-up slot with Problem featuring Iggy Azalea back in 2014. I think a lot of people are probably surprised that Grande has never had a number one on the Hot 100 until now. She's one, yes. It's Katie's very surprised. Yes, I'm one of those people. Um, Most likely because she's had so many huge hits on Top 40 Radio Um, And on our Pop Songs Airplay chart, which monitors the most played songs on Top 40 Radio, you know, like Kiss FM in Los Angeles or Z100 in New York, she's had four number ones. So when you think, oh, four number ones on the Pop Songs chart, yeah, but she didn't have a number one on the Hot 100, Mm -hmm. which is more competitive because it's all airplay from all genres of radio, streaming, sales, it's the whole kit and caboodle. So it's much more challenging to have a number one on the Hot 100. Um, So... That's why you probably thought she really didn't have one. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you. Which was, by the way, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming today. <laughs> sure. Thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, next. Uh, thank you, which was released late in the evening on Saturday, November 3rd, instead of the usual Friday when most new singles are issued. Right before SNL. Yeah. Conveniently. Don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it has something to do with Pete Davidson. <laughs> Her former fiance, <laughs> who was also on SNL, and talked about the their fee- engagement in an SNL promo that week, which may have led to Ari dropping the single that night, possibly. <laughs> also because the song actually name checks Pete yeah, and all of her other high profile exes. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you. Next is also the week's biggest selling song and most streamed song. It tallied eighty one thousand downloads sold in the week ending November eighth, according to Nielsen Music while it accumulated 55.5 million streams in the same tracking frame. Thank you, Bumps Maroon 5's Girls Like You, featuring Cardi B from number one on the Hot 100 after seven straight weeks at number one. I have one thank you next note. Just like after having a week to live with it, because we had spoken about it um, on last week's podcast, I feel like it is like the nicest breakup song of all time. Like it's so it's such a like a positive message. If you look like the the line where she's like um, that she doesn't look at it as I've loved and I've lost. Look what I've found. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, that's good stuff. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that someone would have a song that is so pointedly about specific people to name check them. Yes, 100%. Like, I think it's probably just, like, removing the veil of all of it because, like, you know, we've all... I mean, well, Taylor has did have Dear John that literally had John Mayer's first name in the song. But typically, it's like this, like, am I talking about that person? And Ari's like, forget it. Yes, I'm talking about these three humans and let's move along. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess perhaps because those, those, those relationships were very public. Yeah. 
Um, and because one of them is... Oh, I said three. Four. Four, four well, The four that we're aware Sorry, of. Sorry, Ricky. Um, <laughs> Forgot about you for a second. <laughs> four relationships. Are, you know, but, it's, but it's different than you know, when there used to be you know, like, oh, is this Rolling Stones song Angie about anyone in you know specific? Yeah. What is You're So Vain by Carly Simon about? You know, what are these Madonna songs about? Are they about Sean Penn? Are they about her divorce? She, like, never, she doesn't say his name. It's like, okay, it, that that's what shows that this, this song isn't even about those four guys. It's about her and finding, like, love for herself from these relationships. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, if I say their names, I take the mystery of that away from it, and now you're just focusing on my own, like, self-love, which mm. is the important message. That's the important part of Way the song. Way to go, woman of the year. That's right, Ari. <laughs> um, next up, Metro thank Boomin. You next. <laughs> next. Next. <laughs> thank you, next. Metro Boomin lands his first number one album on the Billboard 200 chart. As the producer's new guest-laden album... Not All Heroes Wear Capes, debuts in the top slot. The surprise set, which was announced on October 31st and released on November 2nd, earned 99,000 equivalent album units in the weekending November 8th. Uh, The bulk of the album's starting unit sum was driven by streaming activity, no great surprise because this is a hip-hop album, and the set started with 125.3 million on-demand audio streams for its tracks in its first week. Now, On Heroes... The 25-year-old Metro Boomin, uh, whose real name is Leland Wayne, is uh, joined by an array of guest artists, including Travis Scott, Young Thug, 21 Savage, and Jay Balvin, among many others. And if you aren't familiar with Metro Boomin's name, you know his production work. He's produced hits such as Migos' Bad and Bougie, featuring Lil Uzi Vert, Future's Mask Off, Kodak Black's Tunnel Vision, and Post Malone's Congratulations, featuring Quavo and lots of other songs. Um, So, yeah, and someone else was asking me this morning within our department, uh, you know, is this the first time a producer has had a number one album? It's like, "Mm, actually, we had DJ Khaled at number one yeah, fairly just, recently. That was this year, right? Um, Thankful or it, grateful? This year or last year? Huh. Huh. <laughs> I think we know that. We clearly went off script. Um, but certainly Metro Boomin's a little bit different from DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled is kind of kind of producer slash executive producer, whereas Metro Boomin is a more conventional producer. Sure. Um, but still, in this era of sort of producers who don't rap, it's a pretty cool achievement. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He also had a little bit of help with some friends. A few friends. A few friends. Um, yeah, I actually read from one of your colleagues as well that um, Travis Scott, like, this adds, what, a few other, like, Hot 100 entries for him. And he's, like, nearing Drake's record of how many Hot 100 entries in a single year like, an artist has. Travis Scott didn't really exist on our charts until really super recently. Yeah. And through the power of streaming and just, you know, album tracks, you can have, like, you know, 25 different hits, you know, within a month or something. Yeah. Okay, lastly, Queen, the rock band Queen, rocks in the top 10 of the Billboard 200 as the band's soundtrack to the biopic film Bohemian Rhapsody rises 25-3, while the Best Of compilation Greatest Hits 1, 2, and 3, The Platinum Collection, zooms 194 to number 9. The albums earned 59,000 units and 39,000 units, respectively, rising 187% and 662%. Uh, In turn, Bohemian Rhapsody marks Queen's highest charting album in 38 years, since the game reached number one back in 1980. Plus, this is also the first time Queen has ever had two albums in the top 10 at the same time. It's kind of cool because sometimes biopics will have the actors sing, 
And it's like, they obviously did not have Rami Malek try to replicate Freddie Mercury. I guess he's blended somewhere in the mix in some okay. sequences. I can imagine he probably sang live to like look like he was singing live. But yeah, like, like maybe when they recreate We Will Rock You or something. Right. It could be him singing along. But it's cool that this is like, the, the album, so- or the movie soundtrack is a Queen album. Because yeah. it's it's Queen music. It's Queen music. <laughs> yes. Um, now, the, whole, the Queen, the Bohemian Rhapsody album, it has... It's not a conventional like it's like a, it's not like a straight up greatest hits album. There are some live tracks, some kind of new kind of reworkings, remixes of a couple songs. You know, they called I think there's a there's a song on there where they they've dubbed it the movie mix because mm. there's sort of a kind of a I guess when you see the movie, it segues into two different scenes, and so mm. they had to do a sort of zhuzhing of it to make yes. it a new mix. Um, and also there's some Live Aid tracks on there that are appearing uh, in audio form on an album for the first time. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but that's why the other Greatest Hits album, or not the other, but the Greatest Hits album Platinum Collection. Is getting love as well. Because it's not the complete. Yeah, because the Bohemian Rhapsody is like a taster. Yeah. And like a kind of like a commemorative memento of the movie. Whereas this other Platinum Collection thing is like, oh, you want the hits? Here you go. Have you seen the film yet? I have not seen the I movie yet. I haven't either. What? I know. We we're, need to do that. We're pathetic. But you first need to see A Star is Born. <laughs> Let's not stop, you know, stop bashing me here. I feel I feel the hateration. Um, Queen was last in the top 10 back in the spring of 1992 when the hits package classic Queen spent six weeks in the top 10 between May 16th and June 13th of that year, and it peaked at number four. At the time, the album was basking in the glow of the success of the movie Wayne's World, which featured a head-banging sequence set to Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. And that song actually peaked at number two on the Hot 100 uh, back on May 9th, 1992. So it's kind of interesting how um, we see this, you know, we've seen like sort of two resurgences of Queen tied to films. yeah. One was strangely Wayne's World, and also kind of compounding that was the death of Freddie Mercury the previous year. Mm-hmm. But also now we have you know twenty five odd years later, you know a Queen movie. It is the oddest like chart trajectory of all time. Like yeah. I guess what's going to happen in the next twenty years that's going to bring Queen back again? I I don't know. <laughs> and now it's time for our interview with Lucas Forshammer, the frontman of Lucas Graham. The Danish singer-songwriter was first on the podcast back in 2016 during the Hot 100 peak of his band's breakthrough hit, Seven Years. In our new interview, we talked about what it was like to make an album after that song's global success, how his now two-year-old daughter inspires his new music, how lead single Love Someone came to be, and what it's like to go back home to Denmark after finding success. Turns out it's kind of weird. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear more in a second. Uh, Just like our last chat, it is always super interesting, and he always gives super thoughtful answers, so please enjoy our interview with Lucas. Because when you love someone, you open up your heart. When you love someone, you make room. If you love someone, and you're not... Hello to Lucas Graham, and welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Hello, Katie, and thanks for having me back. Oh my goodness, uh, absolutely. And the last time we spoke for the podcast was when Seven Years had just hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100 in 2016. Yeah. And you and your bandmates were playing Billboard Bingo to guess where it might land each week at that time. It was a very funny Billboard Bingo. I know, <laughs> I know, I know where it came up. It was like, it was just so unreal coming from a country of six million people, having your song on the on the most influential music chart in the world. 
it was like it was a way of of, of like making it less serious, you know, <laughs> like right. just making a joke out of it because it was so hard to understand. You know, um, you know, now you're back, of course, with your new album three, but so much has transpired since you put your last album out, both personally and professionally for you. Can you even kind of begin to put into words what these last three years have been like for you? I think any new parent uh, is completely dumbfounded by the, the, of course, the the pressure of being a parent, but also the the joys of being a parent and having having a little copy of yourself running around and imitating you. Um, I mean, yeah, complete lifestyle changes, you know, less parties, a little more early mornings, and and yeah, I turned thirty since we spoke the last time, and and you know, I don't know what the fuss is about. I think thirty is great. Thirty feels amazing. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I'm plus 30 myself, and I'm enjoying it as well. <laughs> I mean, my um, 20s were a little uncertain. It's like career-wise, where are we ending up? What are we going to do? Now I'm 30, and it's sorted. It's like I'm still touring the world. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you you came into this new album that j- was just released. You came into it with uh, probably a whole new mindset, considering both being a parent and also having this massive global hit under your belt. So what was it like um, kind of sitting down to work on this album versus your your first two albums it was very much uh, an idea of like before we used to kind of step on top of past successes to build ourselves bigger and this time we, we decided to look away from seven years and decide we were starting from zero because the size of seven years doesn't really correspond with the size of our blue album seven years was the third or fourth biggest song in the world of 2016 and and that is a massive feat coming from a tiny little country so I think it was it was about not trying to duplicate the success, like not trying to do a follow up to seven years, but just trying to do the next chapter in the story of who who are we, what do we do with music. And the Blue Album was a lot about my father passing away and me having doubts about children and future and family, where the Purple Album, called the Purple Album because Viola, my daughter, Violet, Viola, Purple, um, mm-hmm. and the Purple Album is a lot about the the family love feelings not necessarily sorrow but the whole anxiety part of being a dad knowing that you're gonna like hurt your kids one day when you when you yourself pass away i mean love someone the first single the song about my fears of losing my my family my daughter my my dear girlfriend if i'm not a good enough man in their life you know and also my friends like if i when i come home from tour now i, I really call them i i invite them over for dinner we go and have a beer and a chat just ask people how are you like i miss you i love you those sentences just make more sense once you have kids yeah and and that song love someone can really just be applied to all different kinds of love as you said not just romantic love but parental love and platonic love and family love you know how did that song sort of come together and where did that sentiment come from I believe it started as a song that was a half and half to the, the neighborhood I grew up in and to my mom. And then uh, Germ, uh, a lovely writer that that, uh, that we work with a lot, just flipped it and was like, if you love someone and you're not afraid to lose them. And it was like, everyone in the room was like, whoa, 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 where are we going with this, Germ? And, um, and, and once we'd written that massive hook, it was so difficult to tell the story of the verses because it was like everything needed to be rewritten so it was better, like... Um, and and it, we couldn't do that for for almost six months. And, and in LA, actually, we we found the key to it. Stefan and I rewrote the song a couple of times. Um, Stefan is the guy I write most of my songs with. We wrote our first song in two thousand and five when we met in high school. So it's a thirteen year songwriting relationship going on mm-hmm. here. Um, 
and yeah, yeah, the way the way the guys suddenly switched it around to have a guitar doing the riff rather than a piano, just made, and, and they made the song a little quicker. We re-recorded it, and it got this lovely, positive vibe. When it was a piano ballad, it was a little slower, and it was almost sad. And the point with Love Someone is not to be sad. Like, that's my biggest regret with Seven Years. People think it's a sad song. It's not. It's an empowering song. It's supposed to give you hopes and dreams and ambitions for your life, not think it's over before it started. And the same thing with Love Someone. I want people to feel empowered by the fear of losing. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That because yeah, you're so afraid of losing, you, you're going to win. You're going to do everything you can to win. Take fear yeah, and put a, it behind it's you. It's joyous. Yeah. Um, did you find uh, being a new dad kind of seeping into your songwriting in, in songs that maybe weren't even about viola to begin with? Sometimes, yes. Um, I, I'm very aware. I'm, I'm a quite a conscious songwriter in the sense that I never want to write an album just about one thing. Um, the Blue Album wasn't just about my father dying. The Purple Album is not just about me becoming a father and having a lovely girlfriend. Um, but of course, I've written more songs about my daughter than are on the album. And, and I think it's the same thing. And when I lost my dad, I used it cathartically it was like therapy for me to write these songs about losing and sorrow and it's the same thing becoming a dad is a it's a trauma it's a big trauma becoming a parent um not necessarily a bad one <laughs> and 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 yeah I, it's hard to explain it's really hard to explain how how your songs just become different like there are words i don't want to use anymore there are songs i don't want to sing anymore because i now am a father to a, a girl Hmm. And I like I suddenly thought the world was super unfair towards women and stuff like that. I've I grew up with a lot of women and a lot of strong women, sisters, aunts, two lovely grandmothers that are still alive. And and yeah, so I've always been on team feminism. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly you you get you get a daughter and and you're looking around the world and I'm thinking even Denmark that's very gender equal compared to a lot of other countries. Even there I'm like this is too bad. We need to do something. <laughs> um, yeah. That's, that's Every, beautiful. It makes changes. lots of perspective. Perspective changes. Oh, yeah, completely. Um, you know, you just released a video for the song um, Not a Damn Thing Changed from the album. Yes. And it's set uh, at a funeral. And you've talked about the song being um, at least partly inspired by the death of your childhood friend um, this past summer. So what what is it like kind of taking such a tragedy and, and finding a way to turn it into art like that? It's, the, it's back to the whole empowerment thing. Um, we are a big group of boys who grew up together. We went to the same kindergarten. We were 15, now we're 14. William decided to hang himself in January. Mm. We buried him in February, and I came home in May. I, I, I flew home for the funeral in February, but then I flew back to L.A., finished the record, and I flew back home to Denmark, and it's like everything in the neighborhood is just screaming that William is dead. Like everyone is walking around, and like... Bars aren't as fun anymore. People aren't as fun anymore. Like my one of my very best friend, it, it was William's little brother. I mean, I grew up with both of them. I I meet William's mom and dad every day when I'm at home. And yeah, I needed probably more for me than for anyone else to to write this song about William um, because it's not only about him. It's also about all these other things. You know, the world is changing, but nothing is changing. Some things stay the same. I, I'm from a neighborhood where a lot of my friends are going in and out of jail or they're, they drink too much or they don't work enough or they're not taking care of their kids. And then I've got the guys and the girls that are working, taking care of their kids, taking care of business, being good parents, being good friends and good like family. 
and it, it's scary. It's scary to, to to leave and come back like that and see who's stagnant and who's moving. You know. Yeah. Um. And I'm sure, you know, being away like that kind of makes it seem like time stands still but then you go back and you realize that obviously everyone else's lives have been going while you've been you know all around the world well you can also say my friend's perception like my good good old friends their perception of me has not changed Mm -hmm. but ordinary people in denmark like people i don't know their perception of me has changed drastically some of them don't like me because i'm successful some of them like me because i say what i think about politics and some of them don't like me saying what i think about politics like it's like people like they're so busy. Like just chill. Watch your own road, man. Watch your own door. <laughs> just yeah, chill. That's good advice. That is very good advice. <laughs> yeah, but like if you want to watch someone else's door, talk about it. Have the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Uh. Another song on the album I wanted to talk about was uh, "You're Not the Only One." Um, yes. Uh, the parenthetical title of that one is Redemption Song, and you actually directly reference Bob Marley and the lyrics and, and John Lennon as well. Um, why did you single those two out? What's, what is their significance to you? I grew up listening to Bob Marley and John Lennon, well, the Beatles more than, than John Lennon on his own. Um, in the neighborhood I grew up with, a lot of people played Bob Marley. The house I grew up in, um, my dad was a huge Beatles fan, among others. I mean, I could have probably put more redemption songwriters down at John and Bob just came into mind when I wrote this lyric mm-hmm. many years ago. To me, it was important to write a song about the conversations we're not having because people are just yelling at each other now in the political spectrum. No one's mm-hmm. talking. It's all pointing fingers and yelling and getting angry. And I miss the days of like constructive conversation. You know, when you sit down, you talk about opinions and you hear someone else's opinion it's like everyone wants to hear themselves speak now. No one wants mm-hmm. to listen. Yeah. And it goes all it goes both ways. Like I'm not pointing fingers in any particular direction right now. Yeah, people want their own opinion reinf- uh, reinforced as opposed to being open to hearing new ideas or thoughts. Everybody's own name is the most important word in their life and everybody wants hmm. to hear themselves speak more than they want to hear others speak. And until we change that like basic perception in in conversation, I don't think we're getting very far. Um, on that song that we were just talking about, you're not you're not the only one. You teamed up with a couple of pretty notable songwriters, um, in Amy Wodge and, and Dan Wilson. Uh, were you able to get into the studio with them, or is that um, did you collaborate remotely? What was what was that experience like? There's actually no remote collaboration going on on this album. Neither was there on Amazing. the last. Um, but that's because I I write my songs myself. Um, I mm-hmm. I love writing with people. That's my favorite way of writing because I feel I become better when I'm writing with others. No, Dan Wilson came up. We had two days with Dan in the in the studio we were working in, and we just had a really nice day the first day. And the second day, we really got in working. And what I liked about some someone like Dan and Amy is that they're old enough to know that all good songwriting starts with conversation. Mm. It doesn't like you don't just go in and say, "Oh, let's write a song about this." <laughs> like you need to get to know your co-writer. And um, through talking with Dan, I mean, some of the songs he's written, I'm a very big fan of that, especially the the Adele work he's done. And Mm -hmm. we started talking about politics and, oh, we need these and these songs. And we talked about who did he like when he grew up and who do I like. And and he was like, let's write the political ballad. And if it's bad, we'll not release it. (laughs) At least we've tried to do something different, you know. And we couldn't actually finish the song. Uh, Me, Dan, Stefan and Reezy, Reezy, my main producer, we didn't have a bridge for the the song. Um, 
And Dan sent a, actually, well, a remote idea. <laughs> he sent an idea for the bridge. But then Amy Wadge, we'd written some. I'd written three songs with her in Copenhagen, and she was in LA, and she came up for an afternoon, and we tried to fix two songs I couldn't finish. Um, we tried to write a bridge for Lullaby with Amy that we didn't use, and then we wrote the bridge for Redemption, and it was mm. like as soon as she opened her mouth and started singing the melody for that bridge, I was like, oh my god, this is exactly it. And um, very, very humble people, by the way. Maybe some, of, maybe the most humble people I've I've met in, in music so far. Very nice people, and some of the most successful. So that's crazy. <laughs> it, success and humility do go very well hand in hand. Yes. <laughs> um, you already have a thirty dates scheduled around the world for your Purple tour. Um, you obviously toured a ton around your last album, but are you excited to to get back on the road with this this new music? I am excited to be back on the road for one out of the three weeks in America. I have my daughter and my my girlfriend with me. And oh. for all three weeks in Europe, I'll have them with me in the bus. And it'll be fun traveling with uh, with a toddler. The last time we toured, it was from Viola was five weeks till she was six months. So she wasn't really mobile. Now it's going to be fun walking around cities and playing in parks. Mm. And yeah, just quality time with your family, you know. And of course, I'm going to look forward to sharing all of these new songs with with the audience. I mean, that that is why we, we write music. I guess yeah. it's the difference between us and at least some other bands is that we write songs just because we like to and we perform them because we like to. And if we didn't have a big audience and a podcast interview with Billboard, we'd still be playing, <laughs> you know? Like yeah. that's 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 where we come from. It's the tradition. And uh, one last question for you before yeah. I let you go. Um, last time we spoke, we talked about what an emotional song Seven Years is and how many people were kind of approaching you with their own stories of grief and, and how you know difficult that could be. You know, you have quite a few deeply personal and emotional songs again on this new album. So are you getting some of that same reaction? Um, you know, are you having fans approach you with, I imagine not a damn thing changed, especially would, would be one that connected to people. Uh, not a damn thing changed and uh, stick around for now is another one that really gets mm. people hold my hand is another one uh, I think the difference is that from the last album to now is that yes I became a dad I got like two three years older I don't necessarily let as much of people's story in anymore mm-hmm. it's like I, I can't physically handle becoming emotionally affected every time I hear a sad story mm-hmm. so I'm probably guarding myself a little more um that being said i mean yeah i think it's also, i just have it, there's already enough tragedy in not that i'm the most unhappy person in the world but there's enough tragedy in my life with things going on back home and you're already communicating through the music i would say too with those fans yeah but i mean one thing i, I a lot of the, the the a lot of the boys and girls that came up to me during the first album one of the things i told them was to like write your feelings down write your thoughts down mm-hmm. write a letter to your dead grandmother or father mother brother and i've met some of the same ones again and they tell me they tell me how cathartic it was how much it helped them to write these things down that no one has read like no one sees these things but just right. you personally knowing that you wrote down your frustrations and your feelings helps so much definitely well, uh, thank you so much for, for your time today and good luck with the new album and, and with the tour. And I can't wait to speak again. Thank you very much. And thanks for, for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. The darkness makes it hard to see the light. But the time is always right to do what's right. If you 
thank you so much to Lucas for chatting with me again. Um, he is just always fascinating to speak with, and the new music is super catchy, so definitely check out their latest album, Three. And now, it's time for the chart stat of the week. Since Ariana Grande gets her first number one on the Hot 100 this week with her 35th chart entry, I thought it might be interesting to look at some other acts that had to wait a long time for their first number one, or those who have still never had a number one, despite dozens of hits or decades of chart history. Katie, can you guess? Mm. By the way, it's the quiz, Katie. Mm. Uh, Can you guess which act has the most Hot 100 hits without a number one? Can I phone a friend named Gary Trust? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just joking. Well, um, no. I I know. I feel like I've I know one really big one. Okay, uh, Nicki Minaj. That's correct. Nicki just got her 100th hit like a week or so ago. She's never had a number it's one. Wild. Single yet. That's wild. Like Anaconda went to number two. She's had a bunch of top tens. Yeah. Um, but strangely, Nicki is not the act with the most chart hits without a number one. And really? it's, it's something you'll never guess. Okay. Can I have like a, is there a hint you can give me around it or not even? It's not a conventional artist. Like it's like a weird, it's like an artist you would never think of as an artist. Like the Glee cast? The Glee cast. For instance? That is that is the correct answer. <laughs> 207 chart entries, never a number one. That's wild. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Glee cast. I would imagine that Darren Chris's teenage dream would have gotten far. It was top 10, and it was credited to the Glee cast, but not Darren Chris. That's also crazy. Yeah, it was weird. I think there's something, as I side note, if you look at the history of anything with the Glee cast on the Hot 100, the only times any um, anything, the only time any song that was credited to something other than the Glee cast mm-hmm. Was if they had a special guest star that was like a Gwyneth Paltrow singing "Forget You" by CeeLo. Gwyneth Paltrow, Jonathan Groff. Mm, oh, I um, loved when he was on the show. Olivia Newton-John. Mm-hmm. Anytime they had a special guest star that was not a series regular, they were like, "Yo, give us credit." <laughs> I think there was there could have been something you know maybe in their yeah. Con- I, th- I think there's something in the contract that probably said if you if you if you're part of the Glee cast. And you're a series regular, you are just part of this machine called the Glee cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of sucky because then, like, Leah Michelle and Darren Chris could have all had a bunch of hit songs. Mm-hmm. You know, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, some other acts, uh, well, the other acts right after Nikki that have had a bunch of chart hits but never a number one. James Brown had mm. 91 hits. Wow. Not a number one. Wow. Uh, Future has had 75 as of this moment but who knows by the time you hear this it could be 500 more <laughs> and next year or next week you might have a number one <laughs> true and uh, tim mcgraw who's had 57 hits oh. but no number one it is it's it's a hard nut for a like traditional country act to crack yeah he's had some crossover he had the nelly track over and over yeah. and he had live like you were dying which was like a cultural moment yeah, yeah. um he had indian outlaw which was one of her, his first big hits of course but um you know it's tough for any country act to get to number one unless you're Shania Twain and getting a lot of pop airplay as well. Sh- Shania's never had a number one. <gasps> really? Yeah. Carrie Underwood? Um, Carrie Underwood was number one with um, Inside Your Heaven, her oh, American Idol. Oh, American Idol. Coronation track. Wow. But like stuff like Before He Cheats and stuff never went to number yeah, one. okay, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so how about the act with the most top tens on the Hot 100 but no number one, Katie? Mm. 
We've, you've already actually said... I was going to say, is Nikki one of Nikki. them? It's Nikki. It is Nikki. Nikki's had 17 top 10s, but no number one. Wow. After that, we have Bruce Springsteen with 12 top 10s, still no number one. Wild. Uh, Credence Clearwater Revival uh, with nine top 10s, no number one. And Missy Elliott with nine top 10s and no number one. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's just weird. She's got a new album coming. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, it could always happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, how about some acts that famously had to wait years for their first number one? Not not just a couple years like Ariana, because Ariana's only been around for like five, six years in terms of charting hits. Drake had to wait a while, too, for his first solo number one. He was on a feature on Rihanna. That's true. But we're we're talking years. Yeah. So friend of the podcast, Bette Midler, waited 16 years from her debut on the Hot 100 with Do You Want to Dance? Uh, until her first number one, 1989's Wind Beneath My Wings. Mm. Aerosmith waited 24 years hmm. between Dream On's debut on October 29th, 1973, through the week I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, hit number one on September 5th, wow. 1998. Uh, written by friend of the podcast, Diane Warren. True. And then, of course, there's Santana. The band waited 30 years for its first number one, dating from Jingo, debuting on the chart dated October 25th, 1969, to in Smooth, featuring Rob Thomas, climbed to number one on October 23rd, 1999. Um, Other acts that still don't have a number one, despite their many hits, Selena Gomez, Shawn Mendes, Imagine Dragons, One Direction, Backstreet Boys, Don Henley, Shaka Khan, En Vogue, Pat Benatar, and Bob Dylan, just to name a few. The, Selena is really blowing my mind. Like, that is shocking. But she probably will have a Ariana-like moment, and it'll all happen. Yeah. So uh, there you have it. Um, sort of an unconventional chart set of the week. It's just sort of a, a uh, let's talk about folks who haven't had a number one yet. <laughs> But are still amazing artists nonetheless. Indeed. You know, charts charts work in mysterious ways. <laughs> okay, that's the end of our show. Um, any parting words, Katie? Man, that, that was I just like Got a lot of information from that chart stat. I really enjoyed it. I'm, I, well, it was fun to do. Yeah. I can't can't do it every week. But ho- hopefully the other ones don't suck. Should we play one of, uh, maybe one of the acts who hasn't had a number one yet? Um, sh- well, yeah, we could do, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, you want to pick Teenage one? Teenage Dream by The Glee Cast. <laughs> there we go. See you guys next time. Bye. Turn